Hey, good morning, church. What a privilege and an honor. And after an introduction like that, uh, Pastor Conway's introduction made me feel like I was going to walk out on water, okay? Like, that was a very generous introduction, but let me tell you how honored and privileged I am to be here. Uh, as the video mentioned, my name is Bianca Waters Oltoff, and I hail from promised land, aka California, and um, it is my privilege to be here today, family, and let me tell you why. Um, we are in the middle, if you don't know, uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic, not just a pandemic in one particular area, but in a global pandemic, and I want to take a quick moment and give honor where honor is due to the leaders and the pastors of this house, but a definite shout out to Pastor Conway and Jada for their leadership in this crazy season. If you are here in the house and you are there online, put in the chat box, we love you, Pastor, you are amazing. You look good today. Quarantine ain't made you gain weight. I mean, you, I mean, come on, share some love today. But the fact that for those that few sprinkled here in the room and those online, I, I just want to let you know that I am so honored and grateful to be here. The fact, in fact, when, when, when Jada had reached out and said, hey, we'd love to have you come out to church, I was giddy because I've stocked this church. Jada's a personal friend of mine and I watch your Instagram stories and I see how y'all worship and I look covetingly over what God is doing here. And I said, Lord, if you did it for these jokers, you could do it for us in California. Okay. So I'm basically here to drink the water, get the anointing that's here and take it back to California. All right. And, and, and the reason why I was not just privileged and honored to be here by the invite is my background and my history plays into why my level of excitement was to like the nth degree because I wasn't the kid that got invited to the cool kids parties. I wasn't the kid that was picked for the kickball team. I was the kid raised by immigrant parents. I'm a first generation American. I was raised uh, uh, in the concrete jungle of East Los Angeles, AKA the hood. I was morbidly obese. I couldn't read, write or spell at the age of 12. And something shifted and happened and changed in the house of God. It was at church where my Sunday school teacher, Mr. Charles, began to talk about God's chosen people. And for me, I'm walking into Sunday school and my favorite Sunday school teacher, he, he, he was a man from the South. He was a man with dark chocolate skin. He had a voice as sweet as sweet tea and the accent as thick as molasses. And when he opened up the word of God, the characters came alive. And let me tell you what a G Mr. Charles was. Mr. Charles was such a G that he took a fifth grade Sunday school class through an Old Testament book of Exodus. I mean, that's when you're a real Bible teacher right there. You're going to take kids through the book of Exodus. But Mr. Charles opened up the word of God and he was speaking about this people group, God's chosen children, the Israelites. And as I heard this feeling so unchosen, so uninvited, I, I was like, if God did it for them, I'm gonna pray some big prayers. So I began to pray. I said, please God, please God, make me a Jew. And when I realized that it don't work like that, I got hip to the game. I said, okay, okay, please God, please God, let me marry a Jew. And you know, as I grew up and I realized that my theology got reconciled with the truth that as a Gentile, I have been grafted in as a wild olive branch. And before the foundations of the world, God had plucked me out of eternity and placed me in this world, not in obscurity, but with a plan and a purpose. I said, hallelujah, amen. But church, let me tell you something. Do not negate the prayers that you pray as a child. Because fast forward several years, um, my husband and I were doing some ministry work in Europe. I was there to speak at a women's conference. He was there to do some leadership development for some church plants. And as we touched down at Heathrow International Airport in London, 
He's pulling the luggage off the carousel. I turn on my phone and there's an influx of emails and text messages. Well, there's an email from my mom, a text message from my mom. And she said, hey, she texted me and my siblings. And she said, hey, I submitted my DNA to Ancestry.com and here are the results. Well, my mom is Mexican, or my mom's Puerto Rican and my dad's Mexican, so that means I'm Mexican. And um, so her bio came back and largely there's a lot of Spaniard and Iberian blood, which we expected. But we discovered that my mom was 16% Sudanese. Come on, Wakanda, ha! You know, like I'm representing, I was so excited. And then we found out that she was 15% British and here I am in London, I'm in the motherland. And I was like, hello, governor, would you like a sport of tea? Could I have an invite with the queen? I was just filling my myself and then my eyes landed on the most divine information I have ever read my mom is one percent Jewish okay I turned to my husband at the carousel and I said I'm not speaking in tongues I'm speaking Hebrew I said baby I am Jew I'm a Jewish okay I'm 50 percent Jew 0.5% Jew, all right? I just got a little bit of Jew in me. And I was just like, you know what? I am chosen and you have no idea what that feels like. So today, as a chosen child of God, half a percent Jew, I'm gonna talk to you today about some of my Hebrew heritage. And we're gonna be going through a character that I am obsessed with and I love, and his name is Paul the Apostle. And I love that Paul had a mandate on his life to pour into the lives of the next generation and the next generation of the church. What I love about Paul is that he is passionate about equipping the saints. This is how we act. This is how we respond. You know, Paul is kind of savage. He had a son in the faith that he referred to as his son of the faith, and his name was Timothy. And he wrote not one but two letters known as 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy in the canon of Scripture. And when he writes to Timothy, he's not just stroking his ego. He's not talking about local toga trends or, you know, who's looking fluffy at synagogue. No, he is developing him. He don't got time to waste. Time is short and he knows this. And what does he do? Paul writes Timothy and he gives him the biggest reminder and the greatest recap of the gospel. Now, I don't want you to turn there because this is not where we're going to camp out today. But on the screen, I just want you to read this. And I want to read this over us as the anchor of today's word. In 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9, it says, Remember Jesus, Paul talking to Timothy, Bianca talking to you. Remember Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Church, wherever you are at, if you are in your cubicle, if you are in your car, if you are listening at home eating pancakes and scrambled eggs, I want you to put in the chat box right now, the gospel is not changed. No matter your situation, I have come to tell you today that you can worship as your warfare. And if you are a note taker, that is the title of today's word, worship as your warfare. Now, Paul, when he wrote this to Timothy, he said, remember Jesus, not for memory, but for clarity. Remember Jesus raised from the grave. That is an homage to his divinity. And then he says, descended from David. That is a prophetic declaration manifested in the life of Jesus. He, he told Timothy, hey, what your daddy and your daddy and your daddy's daddy, daddy's daddy, daddy's daddy, daddy's daddy, daddy's foretold that there would be a Messiah who would come. And here we see, remember Jesus raised from the grave, descended from David. This is the good news. This is what he's saying. The gospel is good news. And though I may be in chains, the gospel is not chained. See, Paul and Timothy had a relationship. 
They traveled together. They did the hard yards. And, and since they did life together, Timothy would have seen Paul's stints in prison. And how do we know this? So when he's talking about being chained, that the gospel is unchained, Timothy would have known this Im- intimately because Timothy was with Paul the first time that he went to prison. So grab your Bible and your notebook and turn with me to Acts chapter 16 because that is where we're going to be camping out today. Now, as you turn, there's a little bit of context. Paul is rolling around with his homies, his, his homeboys. He's there, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, the author of the book of Acts. And they were in a city called Philippi. We are told that Paul and the group of men had been followed by a demon-possessed woman. A demon-possessed woman that was shouting repeatedly this. She said, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, I read that just very plain and basic because sometimes when we read scripture, that's the way we read it. Like it's a historical piece of documented narrative of something that happened. These men are servants of the Most High God. But I want you to go into the pages of scripture, in the theater of your mind. This girl is crazy. Her hair is probably matted. Her clothes are tattered. She's screaming. She's crazy. She's saying, these men are servants. God, these men are servants. These men are servants of the most high God. These men are servants. Listen, these men are servants. I mean, I don't know how you read your Bible, but I want you to go there in your mind. Okay, so I understand. It is my first time to OCC, and and, and I know that some people online are probably thinking, like, who is this Latina chick that they let up here at OCC? Let me tell you something. My love for narrative storytelling developed at a very young age. And I tell this everywhere I go for the first time because some people are like, who is this chick? She crazy. I'm not crazy. You're born. You just got to get on my page, okay? So the way I read my Bible is from an affinity and love for narrative understanding, story. And this narrative, this love for narrative developed at a very young age when I would go to my Puerto Rican grandma's house and we would sit on her couches that were covered in clear plastic and that your leg would begin to sweat and scratch when you move around on it. And she would serve me a cup of coffee at the age of six because my grandma was crazy. And we would sit there and watch her shows, her soap operas. Now, When I say soap operas, I know that many people are thinking of soap operas like General Hospital, One Life to Live, The Young and the Restless. But when I speak about soap operas, I'm talking about this thing called novelas, okay? So here's a little bit of a Hispanic understanding in history. So in an American soap opera, a a, a woman who is tall and fair-skinned, most likely blue-eyed with blonde, neatly pressed hair, a svelte waist, and thighs that definitely don't touch. She's going to look at her forlorn lover and say very sanely, but John, please don't leave me. I love you. Please don't go. And then in a novella, somebody's going to come in with crazy hair in a very tight dress, 10 pounds of makeup, eyelashes so long when she blinks, you feel it through the screen. And she's going to scream, pero Juanito, no se va mi amor, por qué, por qué, ay Dios mío, ay Dios mío, no, no se va. And then somebody runs in, shoots Juanito, you find out Juanito's a secret baby daddy, and you were like, oh my gosh. Now, that's how I read the Bible, Okay. And I'm tired of people saying, oh, the Bible's boring. No, boo-boo, you boring, okay? So this crazy woman is chasing these men saying, these are servants of the most high God. She's a 5150. She's crazy. 
And Paul, this is where we know Paul is a G. He's not like loving and kind and say, oh, child, be quiet. He says, shut thy mouth, woman, verses 18 through 20. He rebukes her and the demons leave her body. So a woman who has been enslaved, not just trafficked by her masters who are making money off the cash cow that she was, but free from the demonic oppression over her life. Well, that upset her business owners, and they were mad. They took Paul and Silas and his friends to the magistrates, those of an authority during that time. And we pick this up in verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. I'm going to pause there for a moment because I don't want this narrative to feel far away. When we talk about stripped and beaten, it might not be something that we've actually gone through, But I do believe that there's moments in life where we do feel stripped and beaten, exposed and raw. I think in this moment of quarantine, I'm listening to people losing their jobs and their businesses. Maybe you feel stripped and beaten. Maybe you have foreclosed on a house and you are embarrassed and you feel exposed. Maybe your marriage has gone and taken a turn in the middle of quarantine and you feel stripped and beaten. Maybe you're on the tail end of a divorce and you feel stripped and beaten. Maybe your wayward child who is strung out on drugs has left you feeling stripped and beaten. Maybe you're in a job that has let you go or has terminated you and you feel stripped and beaten. There's moments where we feel stripped and beaten. And I know this because this is not something that we preach and pontificate over. It's something that we live through in everyday life. Um, My husband and I started a church called the Father's House Orange County a little over a year ago. And I, let's just pause for a second. I never wanted to be a church planter. In fact, I said I would never marry a pastor. I would never start in in, in ministry. And I would never plant a church. And God just laughed, all right? Because I'm doing all of that, fam. It's been rough, okay? So now I'm hip to God's game. Now I'm saying, I will never have a six-pack I will never have a mansion. Do you hear me, God? Because I know how God plays, right? Well, a year, a little over a year and a half ago, we started uh, this journey. And as we were praying, I I believe that God gave my husband and I a vision for not just Orange County, but what God wanted to do through the ministry of the Father's House OC. And and so we were a little trepidatious and we met with a local pastor who we really looked up to and we loved and and we still do. Uh, We had this conversation. We met in his office and we're sitting across his desk from him and And I'm casting the big vision, 10 churches in 10 years, reaching over 10,000 people, and and that God's going to take these messages and do these things. And he's looking just very straight-faced. And and I'm trying to pick up on social cues. And then I dropped the bomb because I was like, but we ain't got no money. We ain't got no team. We have no venue. We have nothing. And he looked very serious. He said, well, you can't fail. And I was like, is that you can't fail because you're awesome. Or is that like you can't fail because everyone will know you suck? What was confusing to me in that moment brought clarity a few seconds later when he said, yeah, you can't fail because as a person of color in Orange County, which is predominantly an upper class area, um, it will be a reflection of you guys as a couple. Uh, You can't fail because there's so many churches right now that are closing down by the week and it would be a bad reflection of what's going on here. And then he looks specifically at me and says, Bianca, you can't fail because it would be a reflection of the ministry that God has entrusted to you for the last 10 years. Y'all, I felt so stripped and beaten. I I walked to my car very dejected and I turned on the car and worship music began to play. And it was that song, Do It Again by Elevation. I'll never forget. And I'm listening to the lyrics of of, of the song say, I've seen you move, you've moved the mountains. And I believe that you'll do it again. 
And I'm, yet, I'm hearing the words echo in my mind from that pastor that said, you can't fail, you can't fail, you can't fail. Well, I took those words and the worship made me flip the intonation of that as an affirmation of the call that God had placed on our life. And I said, you're right, I can't fail. I can't fail because my God doesn't fail. I cannot fail because his church doesn't fail. I cannot fail because God is a provider and a giver of good things for those that earnestly seek him. So I cannot fail. Child of God, I want you to know if you feel stripped and beaten as we see through the life of Paul and Silas in a minute, you cannot fail. What looks like the darkest of night, will bring light of the earliest of dawn. If you are not dead, then my good God isn't done, okay? If you feel stripped and beaten, this is just the beginning. If you are pursuing the call of God upon your life, I don't wanna be a doomsday prophet, I'm just gonna keep it real. If you are pursuing the call of God upon your life, there will be moments in life where you are oppressed. Why? Because there is a spiritual oppressor and John 10, 10 is very clear. The thief has come to steal, kill and destroy, but God has come to give life and life abundant. God has come. And the enemy wants to keep you from receiving the fullness of what he's called you to. And there's going to be moments where you feel stripped and beaten. But if our good Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was stripped and beaten, we will have moments where we too feel that way. But it's always darkest before the dawn. Look at verse 25. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, note that, and fastened their feet in the stocks. So according to verse 24, these men were placed in a cell. That's singular. It's, it's, it's one. The jailer put two men in stocks and he fettered their hands, which would be like handcuffs and, and feet cuffs. But scripture tells us that he put them in the cell. And that's the jailer's fatal flaw. Because scripture tells us where two or three are gathered, I am there in the midst. See, nobody puts baby in a corner. No one puts Jesus in a box. You can't contain or constrain a move of God. And Paul and Silas were there together. Scripture says he put them in a cell. See, the enemy wants you to fight in isolation because he knows if he gets you by yourself, he'll get in your mind. Mm -mm, mm -mm. get with God's people. I see a lot of spiritual Eeyores right now walking around like, nobody loves me. I'm all alone. I am forsaken. Pick your head up and adjust your crown, child of God. Here's the thing. If you are feeling that way, I'm asking you, are you involved in community? Are you in a life group? Are you getting plugged into membership here? And if you are watching, you've never been here to church. Let me tell you something. If you're in the area, you have a new home, okay? Online is amazing. Online is great. But if you have the ability to be with the people of God, in the house of God for the move of God let me encourage you sign up for the membership class there is space for you here there is space at the table for you do not fight the enemy in isolation and if you are feeling down and out you need a friend you need community come here but let me also encourage you to worship like your life depends on it because it might just look at verse 25 about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. I believe that these brothers are so spiritual because if I was in prison, if you hear me saying anything, it's crying. Why God have you forsaken me? Do you see me? Why this oppression? And yet Paul and Silas, they're in a cold, dark, dank cell. They are shackled and fettered like common criminals for doing nothing. They did nothing but brought freedom to somebody. And here they are in the coolness of the night and they began to worship. Have you ever wondered, when you read scripture, do you ever pause and think, I wonder what they were singing. In my mind's eye, I wonder, what hymn were they singing? 
What, what words came from the pain of their life? See, in my mind, I definitely believe that it was some sort of like Martha Munizzi, Kirk Franklin. Uh, I, I, I'm talking about late in the midnight hour, Fred Hammond. And I know when I talk to this church, you all know what I'm talking about. See, but my church in Orange County, they're like, oh, what is that? What is gospel music? Hey, listen, listen, listen. I tell, I tell my church, hey, gospel music is like Hillsong except for brown people. And then they're like, oh, okay, we got it. All right, all right. So, and, and no matter who you are, maybe you don't know, you know, Martha Munizzi or Kirk Franklin or Fred Hammond, but everybody, everybody knows Tasha Cobbs. And if you don't know Tasha Cobbs, I'll just pray for you. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. But in my mind's eye, they're sitting there in this prison, and Paul begins to sing. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. And Paul, uh, Silas hollers back, key change, Paul, key change. And then Paul stands up and says, I hear the chains falling. And the prisoners are going crazy. They're like, these fools are shackled. These fools are beat up. And yet they are praising their God. What is going on? And some of y'all are like, mm, that was really off key. When's Jada going to come back and lead us? Listen, listen, listen. My praise is in direct proportion to the prison that God has plucked me from. So I will sing like I am Whitney. I will sing like I think I'm Aretha. I will sing like I am Tasha Cobbs, okay? Because when, when we know that God is with us, we have to praise him no matter our situation. We worship as we are in battle. We worship because this is warfare. And in this season where life feels super crazy, I'm going to give us some tips on how to be unshakable using the life of Paul and Silas. I'm not just giving you three points because that's great. No, no, no. I'm going to use scripture to give us some practicalities. Number one, if you are taking note, number one, get with God's people. Very, very, very simple. Paul and Silas are together. And before that, there were a troop, a group of four. There was people following them and they were with God's people. See, hope rises when we come together. Faith is fostered when we come together. Courage is found when we come together. And when the doors open and it is safe with our mask and social distancing, we're inviting you to all of the campuses. Come, and if you're watching from out of state, plan a vacation to the great country of Texas, okay? Come in here. You have a space here. Hey, get with God's people. And see, Paul might have been in chains, but we are witnessing true freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Look at verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Church, I want you to say loose. Oh, that was so weak. I bet online, I could actually hear online. People in the house, I want you to shout back loose. And this is point number two. Point number one is get with God's people. Point number two is sometimes you have to fight to see others set free. See, the ground began to shake. God was setting them free by shaking what they once was secure, what they once stood on. And there's going to be times where you feel like the ground beneath your feet is shaking. The thing that was so sturdy has now been shook. I know that feeling. A couple weeks into declaring that we were going to start this church, but all the bells in hell went off. I mean, I, I felt like the gates of hell opened, and it was like a torrent of attack on me and my family. Uh, my husband and I, we were doing some ministry together, and I'll never forget, we were in the back of a cab, and he received a phone call from our doctor. Now, prior to this trip, we were, it was international, we were overseas. Prior to this trip, he had a routine physical. And this man is a specimen. I mean, he's a little, I love him. But he is a specimen of good health. There's nothing wrong with him. And we got back, we were in the cab, and we received a phone call from the doctor that had said, 
Matt doesn't have dangerously high levels of triglycerides. He has deathly high levels of triglycerides. My husband already has heart issues. So we already were freaking out in that moment. I'm a catastrophizer by nature. I'm like, oy vey, babe, you're one foot in the grave because that's my Jewish like freaking out moment. And I was like, oh my God, you're gonna die. Do you have life insurance? What are we gonna do? And I realized that the enemy was trying to keep me captured by fear. I think the enemy wanted to put me in a prison of fear. So I had to pull a page out of Paul's playbook and I said, not today, Satan, not today. I'm going to put a praise on it. God, I praise you because you, God, have made him fearfully and wonderfully made. You, God, are the healer of my husband. I will praise you. I will worship you. I'm going to tell the devil, not today, Satan. No, 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 no. We are going to take ground and we are going to move forward. And as Paul told Timothy, I had to remind myself, remember Jesus, raised from the grave descended from David this is the gospel which we preach and though I might feel in chains the gospel is never chained so enemy you could shackle my feet but you will not silence my voice you can handcuff my hands but I will still put a praise on it because I will worship as my warfare scripture tells me everyone's chains came loose third thing that we see here in moments when we want to give up we need to learn how to worship as our warfare Learn how to worship as our warfare. We're going to go through moments in life, whether metaphorical, spiritual, relational, where we feel like we're in prison. And I want to tell you that you could experience true freedom in prison. Uh, uh, Two years ago, my team and I embarked on going into prisons. And I have an affinity for the great state of Texas because the state of Texas has opened up their hearts and arms to let us come in and serve the incarcerated community here in Texas and also in California. And I'll never, I'll never forget the first time that I walked into one of our prison experiences in the worship that is going on in the prison is unlike anything I've ever heard from some of the greatest mega churches across the nation. And I, I, I began to think and pause, why? Why is this going on within the incarcerated? Because I believe that the inmates that were worshiping realized that they were freed even though they were not freed. They were worshiping God in true freedom before they were freed out into the world. Now, I don't say this just because I'm thinking about this. I say this because it's rooted in the story of transformation um, our second campus for the Father's House was launched in a prison about seven months into church planning because we crazy. And so campus number two launched in a prison and, and our team went in there and on the first night that we gathered, we wanted the same experience, the same worship, the same atmosphere, the same environment, the same teaching. I mean, we wanted it all. And the prison w- invited the inmates and we, it was packed out. They had to shut the doors. There were 350 men that gathered and were there praising God. Well, there was this one man by the name of Jeremiah. And I feel like his name is so apropos because as he was in his mother's womb, the Lord foreknew him and knew even this Jeremiah who was in prison. Well, that night, he radically encountered God, the presence of God through worship and the word. Then he rose his hand and he said, I said yes to Jesus. Well, he was so excited, he went back to his his cell and he told his bunkmate, Nick, hey, Nick, I said yes to Jesus and I think you need to come out to this church the very next week. Jeremiah grabs Nick and Nick comes with him and guess what? Nick encounters the presence of God because it happens in the house of God. Encounters the presence of God. He too says yes to Jesus and they are turned up. They go back to their cell. They begin telling all their other cellmates and bunkmates and, and crewmates like this is what's going on and they all begin to go and slowly but surely people are saying yes to Jesus. Now it gets better because the economy of God, we only... We level up. Nick calls his dad and says, Dad, I, 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 I encountered Jesus and there's this church here in my prison. And guess what? They're located in Orange County. But 
You can watch live their services. The same services I'm watching, you can watch too. So Nick's dad starts watching church and Nick's dad also gets saved. So this man, Jeremiah, begins to be not just a prophet, but an evangelist there in his prison. Now, let me tell you something. The story is ironic in an only God can do it way. One of our key team members was talking to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, so what's your story, bro? Like, how'd you end up here? Jeremiah's like, well, it's kind of funny. I robbed a church. So Jeremiah robbed a church, gets sent to prison, meets Jesus in a prison and becomes evangelist in prison because he knew that true freedom wasn't outside of the prison walls. True freedom happened there. He began to worship as his warfare. He began to tell people what is up. And I firmly believe that God will use all things for his glory and our story. I'm going to invite the band up here because I believe that we need to put a praise on what God is going to do. We're not just going to preach about worshiping as our warfare. I want us to go in. And I believe that the spirit of God, though you may be watching on screen or though you may be here, I believe that the spirit of God is present. He is dwelling among us. And Psalm says God inhabits the praises of his people. So we want his presence here because we believe that God is going to set some people free. I firmly believe that those that were incarcerated and why worship is so powerful, what's going on in prison is because their their praise isn't predicated by their pain. They are praising an all-powerful God. And no matter what our situation is, though it's real, no matter what our situation is, though it's hard, no matter what our situation is, though it feels oppressive, I believe that we can experience freedom when we worship the one true God. Paul and Silas, they kept singing. Bloody, bruised, bludgeoned, and beaten. They kept singing, and so should we. Our freedom isn't going to come at the hand of man, but in the shaking of our foundation. Do not let prison break your praise, church. Do not let what makes you feel incarcerated break your praise. You can experience true freedom. You might feel bound in a certain area. I get it, but I promise you, put a praise on it. When we get our eyes off of our temporal and start looking at the eternal, there's this new sound, newfound sense of power, a newfound sense of adoration, a newfound sense of awe. Prison is the best place to get your praise on. I'm telling you right now that if you are experiencing the, sh- the shaking, if you're experiencing the shaking, I want to remind you to remember Jesus. And I believe that if we could stand and sing in the shaking, we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Praise breaks chains. If you don't let the chains break your praise, church, today, right now, I'm going to invite you. I don't care if you're in your living room. I don't care where you're at. I'm inviting you to stand to your feet. I want the band. Will you please just begin to worship over the house? Yes. Yes, girl. Is this going to be your declaration, church? Will you begin to sing these lyrics? You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it around for good. Church, I want you to sing. Some of y'all are sitting there mean mugging, arms crossed. Put your arms down and stand up. We are going to give God some praise. We are going to honor him with our words and honor him with our worship. Church, you ready to go in? Yes. Come on. Come on, Chris. It's your birthday. We're going to put a praise on that birthday, girl. Church, I want you to sing in honor of God. Here we go. Take what the enemy meant Yes, church. And you turn it for good. Say you take what the enemy meant for you. 
evil, God can turn around for good. That is Genesis 21. I believe it. That wherever you are, if you have never said yes to Jesus, church, today is your day. You are watching on Facebook. You're watching on YouTube. You're watching wherever you are. I'm believing that the Spirit of God is so speaking. Your heart is pounding. You are thinking, I need that freedom in my life. If you've never said yes to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm inviting you to be set free today. Don't wait until tomorrow. Church, today is the day of salvation. And we're going to invite you into this bold declaration of faith. But maybe, because I also know, there's some people in here who at one point were walking with the Lord, but you have left, you've walked away like that one sheep in the parable of the lamb where you walked away and God left the 99 to go chase you down. This is your opportunity to repent. That means come back, turn around. This is your opportunity today to come back into the fold, come back into the family. So whether you are saying yes for the first time or this is your moment of coming back, I want to be very clear. Today is the day of salvation. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to believe that though we may not be able to see your hands, the angels in heaven rejoice in your declaration of faith. So I'm gonna to count to three, and when I count to three, you're gonna raise your hand if you are making the decision to say yes to Jesus. But before I do that, I wanna provide some understanding, some, th some theology, some clarity around this. One, by raising your hand, you are saying, I'm choosing Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Two, I believe that through his shed blood on Calvary, my mistakes, my failures, my sin is forgiven. And three, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is alive in me, and I am receiving his spirit to be in me. So if that is you, you are saying yes or coming back one two three will you raise your hand and we're gonna pray a prayer of faith with you will you raise your hand will you put in the chat box I said yes to Jesus we have next steps for you but right now we're gonna pray a prayer of faith for every single saint and sinner who has raised your hand we're praying can you repeat after me can you say Jesus forgive me of my sins today I choose you as my Lord and Savior cleanse my heart cleanse my mind and cleanse my conscience fill me with your spirit to do what you've called me to do in jesus name amen and amen and amen we rejoice with you church congratulations we love you worship as your warfare